three, two, one, blast off! <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to Silicon Zombies, where you're going to find the best brains in the Bay. Every week, we demystify emerging technology and uncover hidden truths, spark new epiphanies, as we connect live with brilliant innovators, thinkers, and entrepreneurs. It's Tuesday, October 18th. My name is Nick Larson, serial entrepreneur and ambitious speech bum, and we're joined today with some fantastic co-hosts at Miss Carrie Davis, and we, we've also got uh, we've also got some other folks in the mix, including Jay Burton and Anna Paula and Eric Forrest as well. Um, so, uh, before we get things kicked off with our guest Piotr, who's visiting all the way from Poland uh, for TechCrunch here in San Francisco, we're going to do a quick little shout out for our friends at Nicodex. Uh, please, Anna, you have the floor. Thank you, Nick. Hi, everyone. It's great being here. Um, so, well, who are we? Uh, when it comes to building digital products as websites, mobile apps, there's a lot to consider, right? Like, who is on your team? Are they outsourced? If so, probably have the cost, but do they have the right expertise? So, there's where we in Codex comes in. We perfected uh, the bot model, which is built, operate, and transfer with a stellar track record over five years that speaks for itself. How do we do this? We source the perfect team for both like software and creative from our highly qualified talent based in Mexico, handling all the taxes, administration, paperwork, and all the legal requirements. By saving 40% with a proven team, that's it. it's also in your same time zone. So, well, Nearture Solutions have never been easier. Feel free to reach out if you have like any questions or any doubts. Thank Wonderful. You, Wonderful. Thank you so much, Anna Paolo. And the Nicodex team has done some terrific work for Bazinta and, and, a, and a host of other folks in our, uh, in our community. So thank you, guys. If you're looking to, deal, uh, to build digital products, go to nicodex.com. And as we get things kicked off for today uh, with Peter, specifically around traditional integrity and modern medicine, we're, we're super jazzed to, to have you here. I mean, Peter, you, you're building technology that builds a better world. Um, specifically through equal access to medicine. Give us a little bit of insight into, into how this all began for you. Yeah, uh, Nick's, uh, Nick, uh, thanks for having me here and I'm happy that I can be a, a guest here in your show. So uh, it's, a, it's a long story. Uh, I had started my career as an um, assistant to member of parliament. I was dreaming about be, uh, becoming a prime minister of Poland. So wow. I had big, I big dreams. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I had big dreams and then when I saw uh, all of those disgusting things that are happening in politics, I decided to move to, to business where everything is clear. Mm. It's about building a company, meeting great people and uh, making some change. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we, we started as a typical software house, but in 2014 uh, we have met this uh, amazing startup, LV which is the leading femtech startup, uh, the UK uh, startup from UK. And then it started this kind of the evolution in our brains that uh, do, we want, do we really want to create uh, another app, uh, another dating app? And it's nothing wrong with creating uh, dating apps or deals putting apps, but uh, this is like when we saw that we can make a real change, 
and for example for female that are getting back to to to, to work uh they can use these breast pumps without any wires without any pipes uh which is like uh, uh cannot make any sound mm. it's so quiet uh we for us it was a big change and then in 2014 uh we just knew it that we want to make impact i see i see so to to step back a little bit yeah you uh, uh you run a company, Untitled Kingdom, that does medical technology, product yeah. development, UI UX consultancy, and, and rapid prototyping. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been running this this company for for quite a while. You've gone from building exceptional technology to bringing innovation that is that is changing the world. Uh, help us understand a little bit about the the tools of social change that that you're so passionate about. Uh, huh. Uh, it, it, really good question. So, I truly believe that technology makes us equal. Mm. I truly believe that uh, using this technology we can make uh, uh, this uh, healthcare system accessible for all people all over the world. It's no matter who you are, what's your sexual, sexual identities, mm. uh, what is your financial status, uh, you can have access to, to, to healthcare. And by building these digital health solutions, like ultrasound probes, like uh, breast pumps, like uh, uh, devices that can measure the, the level of your hormones, we can uh, make it much more accessible and uh, cheaper for the entire system. So this is what uh, drives me every day and makes yeah. me feel uh, smile when I get back uh, to work every day. And uh, I know that we can make a huge difference with our partners. Wow. Just out of curiosity, how how did your insight and how you build it? I'm really excited to get into building a culture of success because I, I, I think that's, it's, it's one of those things that's so crucial, but also a little bit difficult to really put your finger on exactly what it means. It's kind of like, um, like one of the justices said when they said, you know, Hey, when they're trying to define pornography, justice said, well, when you see it, you know it, yeah. right? It's one of those things. Yeah. So curious about that. Um, but how, like, how did you, um, how did you have this this concept of a culture of success? I guess first, can you define that for us? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, like for me, the culture of my company was always one of the most important parts of of building this company. And uh, we are like fourteen years old company, and we are a team of sixty five. So we are not the fastest growing company on the market. But for us, it was always. Uh, super important to build a team of passionate experts, uh, people who love what they do. Mm. And there's only one rule, in my opinion, when you want to build a, a company based on culture, uh, when you want to uh, build a company based on culture, you need to believe in the values that, uh, that uh, you're saying that mm. you have on the, on the walls. And in our case, it's technology makes us equal. Uh, it's family, quality, and transparency. And I really believe that this is uh, that this is um, the the fundament of our company. Wow, brilliant! And you know, we, we have a, a number of folks in the audience that are uh, e either in the medical technology space or, or scaling really cool companies. <clears throat> uh, Dr. Amos as well. So eventually, we'll have we'll have Dr. Amos up here, and we can we can talk a little bit about the medical technology space. Um, but while we're uh, while we're waiting for that, um, so. You're, the goal is to uh, increase brand awareness and, and access to, to folks that are decision makers. Is, is that why you're, you're here at TechCrunch? Or? 
Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, like the, the, the uh, first reason is to meet our partners. In my company, we do not call clients clients. We call them partners. This mm. is a, the, the part of our culture. We believe in this end-to-end -end partnership. Uh, we have uh, one goal to create successful product. Like we work with this amazing company here from the Bay Area. It's called Ergo, and Ergo. Uh, what they do, they 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 have this uh, hearing aids. They are so small and tiny that you can put them into a into the ear, ear canal, and you can hear like the music, uh, let's say in high definition. And right. by creating this uh, super modern technology, we can really improve people's lives. I, I remember this uh, this comment that we had from one end user. He said like. 20 years ago, I heard this uh, song uh, with, um, with my parents, and this is something from my childhood. By using the Ergo devices, I could hear this song once again, 20 years later, with the same sound quality. Wow. And I was crying for like 15 minutes wow, or 20 wow, minutes wow. after that. So say to your developers that they did like a tremendous job. And this is something that when you hear this feedback and you believe that you can create this technology technology that improves people's lives it makes you like feel amazing this is like the the better than than coffee or yeah. anything else <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and probably too because like communication is such a, a important element yeah. of, of uh, I mean human beings are, are social creatures right yeah so if you take away that element it's yeah. uh, it probably feels it's so isolating I would yeah. imagine mm -hmm. so it, so okay let's let's dive a little bit deeper um, into in, into culture. So I was doing a little bit of prep for for the chat today, and and I found out that in the eighties, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and there's a psychologist named Edgar uh, Skein uh, of the Sloan, the Sloan School of Management, and he divided an organization's culture into three distinct levels: artifacts, values, and assumptions. Um, assumptions being like the uh, the the overt elements, or I guess like the the like the inside jokes, the the dress norms. Mm -hmm. What does that What does that look like um, for Untitled Kingdom? Uh, uh, like after fourteen years of creating the company's culture, I think we have a lot of that. We have inside jokes. We have uh, our own our own uh, maybe not language, but um, uh, vocabulary mm -hmm. uh, in our company, like this uh, partners. Uh, every time when I say partners uh, uh, during the intro call, people, they don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but when I explain it, that you're not our client, there's no third party and the ordering party, there's only like a one team. Ah, I got you, this is so obvious. Yeah. So this is the part of, of the culture. I would say that um, uh, UK citizen uh, is uh, what we uh, use in our company because we are our company is Untitled Kingdom. Yeah. Uh, we call it UK citizens because we believe that uh, we have obligations to provide the best possible workspace for our team members. And uh, so, so the, the physical space, you mean? Uh, the physical space and the space like uh, 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 like uh, the place you work, where you work. Right now, after COVID, the physical space is not relevant, right? Yeah. Uh, you work uh, for a company, you work remotely, and uh, you need to find a way how to uh, engage your employees, your citizens, your team members uh, into company's culture without being able to meet every day or every other day. Uh, so this is the, the, the one of, that was one of the most difficult part of me being a CEO uh, in this company. Mm. Um, so, 
so does that mean that that uh, the team is in the office most days of the week, or do some people work remote, or how, how do you juggle that as, as a CEO? Uh, right now, it's a it's a tricky question because uh, we are in the middle of uh, renovation of our office. Yeah, uh, we uh, our plan was to finish it uh, by the end of July. Now it's October. Okay, but you know how it is with uh, construction companies. Sure, sure. It's always uh, delays. But uh, so we had this concept uh, that uh, let's change something in our space. Let's uh, change it from the place where we have your own desk, where we can sit and work uh, eight hours a day, to a place where we can meet with your uh, colleagues, team members. So in our new office, we have only um, uh, conference rooms and mm-hmm. places to brainstorm and meet with the team members. So if you want to focus, stay at home. If you want to have this uh, teamwork, uh, okay. or brainstorming sessions, like come to our office and meet with your friends and colleagues. And uh, I think that's a, that's a good way. Let's see at the Apple campus, Apple One, it's empty. And yeah. they're trying to force employees to come to the office, but by pushing them to come to the office, they will not achieve anything. You know, I, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Um, so we've, we've got Jay Burton, uh, who's, who's one of the hosts today as well. And, and Jay was a, a, a very successful director for over a decade at Apple. Jay, can you talk a little bit about the the, the culture of, of Apple and, and what you learned in team building? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think um, I, I always like to define it this way where um, the, the, the culture at Apple is everything is intentional and purposeful. So even though it's this like massive global conglomerate um, your 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 value is kind of felt every day, and um, if you're in a position of leadership, a lot of if not all of kind of your metrics and how you're measured from a performance perspective is how well you're developing your direct reports, and um, and and how they're feeling about their work and how they're feeling valued. Where I feel as you know, a traditional company is all about numbers, and so that was kind of the most profound thing in my experience at Apple. Um, And it's reinforced top down, you know, so whether you're a part-time retail employee at a mall somewhere, um, you're made to feel like your contribution to the company's growth or the mission is felt. Um, And, you know, I, I, I don't know if there's any other real organizations that kind of really kind of intentionally and purposely create that culture where um you know it's not about quote-unquote revenue right or production it's just are you in a good place like personally and mentally you know like how how can apple or your manager or your director whomever help you grow not just professionally but personally and so we would do these things um the lominger competencies where you would do these, you know, this assessment that kind of ID, it kind of um, gave a display into kind of your personality type. And each manager is taught on how to manage to the person and the competency, not just the, the kind of the, the job or the job description. And so um, I always tell people I am, um, I grew up at Apple, you know, I joined there when I was in my mid 20s, I left in my mid 30s. And I, I feel like it was every day was a master class, whether it was in business development, personal growth, leadership, et cetera. Uh, and Jay, you, you mentioned something super important, but we all 
without but. We all know the Simulsinex Y, and I think that what is mo most important in Apple and why we love this company, uh, I mean, from the customer perspective, of course, because they always start with why. It's not about what we yeah. sell, uh, what it does, but they always start with why. And the why is super important to build the company's culture. Why we do what we do. And I mentioned, I mentioned that a few times today, but uh, I really believe in this, and this is not a slogan, I really believe that technology makes us equal. And uh, in Apple, they use all of their knowledge, uh, great brains that they have, the, the great people, engineers, to make the technology much more accessible. When you use the macOS, uh, macOS, you know, like you think that some feature should be there and it's there. And that means that it's accessible. Yeah. And we want to bring the same to the healthcare system. If you think that uh, you should uh, measure the level of your hormones, uh, you should just do it at home and send it directly to your doctor. Because by that, you will have an access to the, like the greatest, uh, mm. uh, greatest specialists uh, in the US or anywhere in the world. So I'm I'm curious, how 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 did Apple measure that? Because it's it seems like difficult to quantify. Um, and, and by the way, Curtis and uh, and Dr. Amos, uh, if if you guys want to join the stage and and uh, chime in, you know, feel free to, to hit the hands up button. But yeah, Jay, how how does how does Apple uh, measure that? Um, so we would do these like quarterly. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the tool, but it's been a while. Um, but we would do these like kind of quarterly feedback slash evaluations. I want to say it was like Voices 360, um, where every employee would basically just kind of submit feedback, right? And some of it, I'd say about maybe 25% of it was in relation to the job. Um, but a lot of the question, again, the, the thing that was very profound to me when I was first introduced to this was, it was like, like, how are you feeling? Some of those questions were, are you feeling valued in the workplace and at work? Do you feel like your responsibilities and your role contribute to the company and add value? And then would also ask like, in what way? Or ask for like a reference or two. Um, and so I think part of that, um, Peter, to your point, you know, the the why, which I'm, I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek, not to drop that line, but the whole kind of start with why mentality, mm -hmm. I feel like was kind of part of that foundation of how Apple was able to scale so quickly in the mid 2000s to who they are now, yeah. was the why was kind of clearly defined, right? The why was um, embedded, not just in the culture, but in you know the talent acquisition strategy, right? So even though, um, in, maybe new to some of the audience but you know if you look at just kind of in, in regards to like compensation apple isn't really kind of at parity with a lot of kind of that big tech community unless you're in engineering um and so you know some of those early interview questions would be you know do, do, how, do you like how do you feel around about being like part of something bigger than yourself right which i feel like is kind of a generalized question that a lot of employers ask but it's also reinforced right like i, I remember hiring you know junior account executives to sell into you know mid-level accounts and um a member of the executive team who was you know three leaders removed from me would send that person a handwritten note and a personal gift to their home address mm -hmm. of like the welcome kit right and it's like if, if that 
that to me is kind of like a key example of mm. how you create value um, and you get just this level of buy-in loyalty from the inner the interview to the hiring process absolutely and I think you know a lot of studies show that um, you know the empowered and inspired employees are just far more productive um, than your typical person who just looks at it as a quote-unquote job um, and yes like into, into your comment that you just said it's yeah you're just the, the loyalty is insane that Apple has. I mean, I even used to question it when I was becoming a quote unquote disgruntled Apple employee was, man, some of the talent I would see with the education they would have, I'm like, why are you stuck in this role? But it was just part of this culture where you're learning and growing like every day. So while you would see some of your peers jump ship and get into some early startups and experience maybe some financial success, well, it's not about that, right? It's like you're, you're being developed, you're growing as a person, you have these amazing connections which become like lifelong friends. Um, and, and for me, it, it's, it's just, it's kind of uh, similar to like my military experience where it becomes this like brother or sisterhood of sorts where you show up and you perform even if you're not feeling it um, because of the people who are connected to you and that are showing up to work every day with you. And... Uh like you said, um, I I think that we cannot we for, uh, forget about it, but we cannot over communicate our values. And you mentioned a few few examples how we can communicate them, and we can uh, do it by sending those personal notes or uh, like uh, giving left instant feedback or just uh, be aligned with our values in everything we do as managers of as a company, right? And you said. Uh, many interesting insights from, from, from Apple and from your perspective. And I think it's super important to remember that we cannot over-communicate values. We have to do it over and over again and give examples like what kind of behavior is aligned with uh, our values. So let's toss this over to Kerry Davis, who's the associate publisher at, at Modern Luxury Media. Kerry, would help, help us understand a little bit about the, the, the culture and the values of uh, you and your team. Thanks so much for having me, Nick. This is uh, culture is always one of my favorite discussions. Um, and Jay, I'll add on a little bit of what you were saying. I'm actually a former Google employee, so you know that's probably the number one place where they ask you to drink the Kool Aid, um, and I did, <laughs> and it was really tasty. This is delicious. Okay, good. <laughs> um, but one of the things there, just to kind of add this point, because that's you know that's a company that everyone knows um, globally, that cultural fit was the number one thing for them. Um, and when I joined the team, this is going to sound crazy, and that's a story for another time, but I had zero digital experience, mm. and I joined the digital team because obviously that's what they were doing. Mm. Um, so it was really interesting. My work experience was not nearly as important as my travel and my sort of own personal values and my belief system and my you know, push for equality and wanting to be in a work environment where everyone was really looked to their ideas with an equal perspective, no matter what you did. Um, one of the interesting things that they did was something they used to call a bat signal. And you know, in Batman, when they flash the <laughs> flashlight up and he knows he's needed. Yeah. So they would call a bat signal and it was really like an all company signal. So even if they were, you know, if I was working on something for the gap, but people were coming from their tech background or they were coming from, you know, agency or they were coming from finance, if you had an idea around this, then it was valuable and it was needed. And it was almost, 
um, even more valuable because it was outside of our usual thinking for that client. So it had this very creative sort of collaborative element to it. And I've, and I've taken that to every other job that I've had. I just recently did one in my new company. Um, so I think from a modern luxury perspective, um, we are, I work on an all women team. Um, and I think that's different than it used to be, obviously, but there's a different, that brings a different cultural element to anyone who's ever worked on, you know, either an all male or an all female team, um, that always has kind of a different feeling to it. And Peter, I wanted to ask you Mm -hmm. actually, um, you know, you've got a company that has a femtech component here. And yet you said that it was really hard for you to find female developers. So how do you balance that culture with a femtech and a product that's for women, but having a challenge, you know, where these developers are in short supply? Great question. I thank Mm. you for asking that. So, uh, there's a good sign uh, for, for all of us because there, uh, there are more and more female developers um, and uh, we have few, uh, we take few different actions uh, right now. So the first one, we have this uh, Academy Kingdom where we uh, teach uh, young students uh, how to code uh, the product development and we have this, uh, this balance 50-50, so uh, 50 for a female, 54 for male. And the next one is uh, that um, we have truly talented uh, product uh, developer, Sarah, uh, who was the co-author of our The State of Femtech report, and uh, we learn more and more about that. And we have our own um, advisor in our company. Um, he's uh, uh, the doctor who made the first uh, lung transplantation in, in for a COVID patient in Poland two, two and a half years ago. But every month we have a keynote, like uh, the let's say keynote about different medical topics. And every quarter we have a keynote about the female body, hormones, uh, the menstrual cycle. And even if we have uh, male developers, I truly believe that they need to understand the, uh, the entire uh, body ecosystem. Um, and if they work on the f- uh, Femtech products, they need to understand what the menstrual cycle is. So what is that period? Like uh, why breastfeeding is, uh, so challenging, not only from the labor uh, labor perspective, but from the hormone perspective, from uh, f- uh, for young mothers. So um, we try to convince uh, the new employees, uh, like the candidates uh, for our company, that as a femtech or femtech and medtech focused company, uh, this is the place for uh, for uh, for them to make a real change to impact the world and to show um, young girls that they can uh, achieve whatever they want to achieve. And to be honest, one of my uh, goal in our company's uh, strategy, long-term company strategy, is to hire a female uh, CEO to replace me in a few years, like three, four years, because uh, Mm -hmm. I believe that even if I'm uh, learning a lot about a female body and uh, the hormones and uh, everything uh, that's related to it. I'm not. Uh, I- I'm. A, I'm a guy. I'm. I'm a, uh, so I cannot understand that. I don't have this experience. You never will. No. Yeah. So exactly. <laughs> even if I talk a lot with my wife about it, this is only something I can hear. Uh, so I believe that. Like my my true belief is that uh, 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 women are better managers than we are 
and uh, they have much more empathy and understanding of uh, human emotions. And uh, because of that, I believe that making this replacement in, uh, in two to three years will be a, a big move for our company. And maybe I'm a kind of the disruptor, but I will also want to show this uh, middle finger to to the to the entire industry <laughs> to the entire industry that uh, if you're a young girl you can achieve whatever you want to achieve and all limitations and all barriers are in our heads only and uh, maybe it's a little bit more difficult for me to understand uh, all of the gender gaps because I'm from Europe and Poland and the only positive thing in the socialism was that everyone was equal. Uh, there was no differences between uh, female, male, um, and uh, we do not have this problem. In Poland, this problem is not as big as it is here, but it's changing. And I remember this story. This is the last sentence. No, 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 I remember this, this story, story from uh, 2018 when I was at the conference in San Jose and I had this big banner um, with a Kaggle trainer uh, on this banner. And someone approached me and he asked me that, what is it? This is like the Fitbit to measure uh, steps or something like that. And I said, no, no, this is a device uh, to train Kegel uh, muscles. So uh, uh, when uh, you're a woman, you have to put it into your, your vagina and you train your muscles and uh, you can um, rebuild your strength after pregnancy, for example. And he was like, his face was red and wow. he said you're in california you cannot say this word it's not it's not good for you it's not good for you right now we are 2022 yeah and I, the times. yeah and i think that uh it's the the industry here is much more open and i remember this story from our femtech report we have this great friend of us uh, rachel cheryl from new york and she told us that in 2017 uh, she has approached like the vcs uh, in new york and she said, like, I have this great uh, idea for Fantech startup. She described it. And they said, we do not invest in uh, niche markets. And she said, like, what? Like, how 51% of the society can be like a niche market? Right. And, uh, but still, we are in 2022. It's changing, finally. And uh, we see that there's a lot of uh, different startups, uh, Fantech startups. And fortunately, it's not only about the fertility anymore. It's about yeah. uh, the, like much more than that. Yeah, and, and comfortabil comfortability in, yeah. in uh, products as well. I don't know if I answered your question, Kari, but... <laughs> you, yeah, absolutely. I do have, I have a very quick follow-up question. Uh, you're married, I heard you say. Do yes. you have daughters and do you have sisters? Uh, I have uh, one sister and I have uh, one son. Yeah. And a son. Okay. There's it's it's just always different, and it's so interesting. Um, one, thank you for saying that women aren't a niche market. <laughs> I was on mute, and I burst out laughing, and I'm like, oh, good thing now I'm on mute. Um, and second, just for you know, this is I like that you're going to have a younger audience and an older audience. And I was at a um, I was at a conference recently, and, and a woman was speaking. She was a medical mm -hmm. doctor, and she was speaking about the sort of decade by decade for the lives of women. And one of the things that I said was that I, I really, really hope that I am the last generation that doesn't talk about what happens to every woman. You know, you talked about yeah. sort of modern and universal and accessible. We're all going through menopause, ladies. So, mm. and if you don't talk about this until you're, you know, 53, 54, 55, yeah. 
missed a whole lot of time in there. So I really hope that that's the very last of that. And you're doing great work towards that. And I just like the way that you talked about, um, you obviously like women. There's a whole sort of different mentality when that's the case. Um, so I appreciate that. And you had a great answer. I have a question to you, Carrie. Do you know what was the first Fentech product on the market? The first? The first Fentech product on the market? First Fentech. I'm yeah. familiar with um, the Kegel devices, the first Femtech. Uh, I'm going to say it was some sort of, uh, you know, sexual device, but is that is that considered tech? Uh, it's a it's a it's a funny question because the the, the first Femtech product was the pink Gillette razor, and it was oh. de designed by the old white guys in the board of like in the board in Gillette in Paris, and the, wow. this, yeah. the uh, guys in the board they were like seven years old they uh, decided that, yeah, so let's make this first female product. It will be pink razor without any changes in the shape, in a, like, you know, behavior of the, of the razors. And that's the perspective that we need to avoid. Like to, uh, like finally, we are, we are living the times when female can design and produce products for other female uh, users and not let uh, white guys to create products and let them think that they know what your needs are because we do not know that. Mm -hmm. We can only ask you about that, but it's not uh, the same, right? That, well, you make a really good point, and I read uh, that you had one of my favorite quotes as well, which was Henry Ford about you know making sure that you sort of not only know what people want because if you ask them they may not know right. so if you're asking yeah. these white men what they think women want and the henry ford quote was he said if i'd asked people what they wanted they would have said a faster horse yeah. um which i always loved that quote um they don't know you know i mean but but that's who was being asked the yeah. question so the old white men were being asked the question and they said hey pink razor ought to do the trick you yeah. know, so so it was like the the whole conversation has changed in such a positive way. Um, but you know, and I think for a little bit it almost changed to the way where it was all women, so only women were going to understand women's needs and that sort of market. But you know, it, that's not true. So you have women in every aspect of your life. Everyone should be comfortable talking about this. You know. Um, so I really appreciate that. I love the, you know, that culture that you're bringing. So and um, when I ask about the women in the culture, I think it's great. Uh, let me add uh, one uh, more sentence here. I think that we need to do much more than that. Uh, even when I see it is in educational system in, in, in Poland and the cultural frames that we have, even those stupid uh, sentences that we hear sometimes from our parents or grandparents, like be nice princess. What does it mean even? I'll, or his grand, grandpa because he uh, he wants it but yeah. what about you what about mm. what about your your daughter like uh do you really think that she wants to kiss uh grandparent if she don't want to kiss she right. shouldn't sure. like sure. we yeah. shouldn't push anyone to do anything and we need to uh we need to change those uh ways how we think about it it's so funny because I, I think traditionally ceos are, are known for i don't want to say being overly aggressive but uh, you you definitely approach team building and 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 company building with a place of, from a place of humility and that, that's one of the, the one of my favorite things about you one of the many things about you so I, so love you for that um, and then Carrie I, I wanted to get back real quickly I, I think it's fascinating that Google would bring you into a discussion 
knowing that you didn't have deep industry expertise or vertical expertise, because maybe you could you could approach it from a, a, a simpler perspective and not overcomplicate, you know, kind of like seeing the forest through the trees kind of thing. In fact, Joseph Manafra, our friend who's the, the head of research and, and innovation at NASA, he had he gave a very similar answer when I asked him, like, how, like, how are you approaching innovation? He goes, well, we get uh, rock stars, we get um, mm -hmm. we, we get motorcycle rider, you know, all these folks to come in and try to attack a problem, but they get just such a diversity of thought. When you have, when, cause you've been all over, all over the world, Carrie, probably over a hundred countries, I would guess. Did, did that diversity of thought help you and, and how you're, you're building culture within your team as well? Yeah, not over, not over a hundred countries. I'm, I'm a little under 40, but um, mm. I just have always had an insatiable curiosity in, about other cultures in general. Mm. And so, you know, growing up, I grew up in a very white suburb of Denver. And the very first time I went to San Francisco, I was literally just astounded by how many different, you know, how different people looked by the languages, what they were wearing, what they were doing, how they were acting, saying, how they were dressed. I'd never seen anything like it. So to that, that was sort of, you know, my first experience of diversity. And I think as, you know, the world has changed so much and to Peter's point from this accessibility and this universality that technology has brought to all of us, like you, you, you'd be living under a rock if you didn't sort of you know, know that this is happening, know that there's this different diversity, know that all that happens and that everyone's, you know, thoughts, opinions, values, everything about them is equal across, you know, there's always the saying of like, no one is better than you, but you're not better than anyone else either. Mm. So it, it's kind of, it goes both ways. And that's I think that's beautiful. something that we, you know, strive to teach children because you never want to tell them they're better than anyone else, but you also want to tell them they're not less than mm. anyone else either. You know, right. you're just as capable and you're just as wonderful and you have so much potential and opportunity just like everybody else does. So, you know, in, in traveling and going around and seeing these different cultures, you see people think in such different ways. And to your point, Nick, almost the simplicity of things, um, you know, kids in Africa play with a stick and an old, you know, tire rim because that's what they have available, but they make it actually really kind of fun um and so you're like it's it's ingenious you know what is it necessity is the mother of invention mm, like mm -hmm. you work with what you have and then this innovation and this creative creativity just it, you know by necessity can happen so so um, speaking of speaking of creativity um obviously fostering an environment that is uh that, that affords creativity to blossom it's it's a beautiful thing um but how do how do we make sure that we're we're picking the right people? How do we make sure that uh, that it's it's not just mimicking surface level elements of other companies that are are seen as creative? How how do you get to the core when you're hiring people? Uh, I would say that uh, the first one, if uh, the potential candidate is saying something uh, bad about the previous company, this is uh, the, the the wrong fit. Yeah. Uh, this is the first one. The second one, uh, I need to feel this uh, positive vibe, like, you know, this something in your guts that this yeah. is the right person, that this person uh, really believes in the mission and the vision that you have in your company. And uh, of course, we are talking about the specialists, right? So people who 
fit like our uh, requirements. But um, this is like when you meet someone and uh, you talk to someone, ask questions, and uh, you, you, you have some uh, methodologies to ask the right questions about uh, approach, about beliefs, about uh, uh, experience. And you just need to listen. I never read any CVs uh, of my candidates because mm. I don't believe they're relevant in any ways. I just follow my guts, gut feeling and uh, based on the conversation, I ask cultural questions. I always have someone who is uh, expert in the field. So uh, this person can ask like the, uh, uh, questions from the domain. But we need to be sure that this person will fit our culture and uh, we also need to know that the culture is not something that is written in stone. Mm. Uh, it's uh, changing all the time with every new employee, if, with every new team member. This person will uh, change the culture of the company. And you need to be sure that this value that the person brings to the table will change the company's culture in a positive way. So, so the culture can change, but the values aren't going to change. Like, so how do you, how do you, they're changing the same. Like I said at the beginning that we have this, uh, three values in our company, uh, uh, quality, family, transparency. And eight years ago, there were, like the definition was still different than it is right now because more we know, uh, we expect more like from, from, uh, these values. Uh, we have better experts, we uh, have a bigger experience. So right now the, the quality means uh, something different than uh, it was like eight years ago. Mm -hmm. The quality is, is different and the family is different as well. So we need to know that the culture is changing all the time. It's, uh, it's, um, we cannot uh, believe that it will be the same for like 10 years because it's not. Right, right. Oh, and we also had a question from Owen. Owen, did you want to, to chime in here as well? Yeah. So, um, you know, as you kind of thinking about, you know, the whole concept of culture. Oh, am I too far oh, away? Sorry. Um, so as, as we think about the whole concept of culture, right, circling back and kind of thinking about how, how the, the combination of, you know, you have, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with one segment, but obviously you have, you know, men. Um, what, what kind of aspects of the culture and how, how do you anal analyze um, kind of the output and, and the, the evolution of, of that culture in your company and, and understand, you know, what are, what are those key elements that you see have, have helped you, um, you know, really kind of incubate your best products? Mm -hmm. um, when, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, I have this like uh, this. Um, I believe that the company is like an umbrella. Uh, so the money on the bank account, your brand, the uh, everything like the computers is like an umbrella. Umbrella without hand. That uh, that um, uh, with the hand is useless uh, because it will not uh, stay. So the umbrella is protecting us from the rain, uh, from the wind, and this is the company. But the hand is the most important part of the company. The hand is the team. So this is right. the first one. And, and bringing the, 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 the two sides together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like a synergy. But we use uh, uh, tools like Office Vibe, 
for example, to uh, measure the vibe of the company. Okay. Uh, I do a lot of uh, one-on-one meetings with my uh, team members uh, on every level. Uh, so I have this California meetings. I work a lot with my uh, with my team members. Uh, everything between five to ten kilometers uh, per meeting, and we talk a lot. Uh, I ask only three questions: like, how do you feel? Uh, what uh, are your best achievements? Uh, and how can I help? Um, and uh, by doing that, I have this like feeling, like what's going on inside the company. So uh, I will say that uh, the tool that we use and those meetings that I have and uh, other C-level managers they have with team members, they're, uh, they're the most important parts of, the, the, of understanding the, the company's culture. Awesome, awesome. And then uh, just out of curiosity, what, um, your, your biggest success, was, was it intentional or accidental? Um, what was that, that zero to one, that, that quantum leap that allowed you to get to 65 employees and working with some of the biggest brands in the world? I, I wouldn't say that one of the biggest brands in the world, but thank well, you for Well, med- MedTech, right? Yeah, saying that. Yeah. Uh, I remember that it was in 2013. We, we almost went bankrupt. Um, and uh, I discovered that we have money uh, on our bank account only to pay taxes or salaries. We decided to pay salaries. <laughs> and cool. and uh, I had this discussion with uh, my, my chief of sales and I said, uh, Bart, I know that uh, probably this is the last month of our company and this is the best time for you to leave the company to uh, protect yourself. But if you want to uh, help me to uh, change something in a company, uh, we can do that. This is my plan, and we can uh, try to save this company. I'm not sure if it's uh, if uh, if it's a good plan, but let's try. And he decided to to help me. And uh, since then, I started to believe that this is my my job. This is my my maybe not destiny, but this is something I really want to do. Before that, I was wondering always like but what's my what will be my next job and uh in 2014 i i understood that this is what i want to do and uh, my biggest achievement is that i have people that are much smarter than me around around me and i know how to uh um i know how to hire right people so this is the most important part of being a ceo to have much smarter people than yeah. you are. Yeah, in- including uh, the, the gentleman that did the first lung transplant for, for, for the yeah. COVID patient. Yeah, yeah, he's a rock star. Is that uh, Dr. Marshevsky? Dr. Marshevsky, he's can, a rock star. Can you tell us a little bit of, of, about how you met him? Uh, so uh, during the, the, the entire COVID, uh, I was looking for someone who can explain our employees during the ed lunch uh, what the COVID is, how to um, how to uh, live with COVID and and this COVID fog and and uh, everything like that. And immediately when I met Dr. Maruszewski, we felt that there's a strong connection between mm. us. This mm. like you know, like I had with you, yeah. that uh, we felt that we need to do something together. And then. Um, then uh, I thought that we should create the, the advisory board. 
And then I asked Dr. Maruszewski to help us to uh, work with our partners to let our team understand the medical aspects of uh, products we do, like polyneuropathy or uh, like the ultrasound probes or like uh, um, hearing aids or like menstrual cycle or uh, everything like that. Mm. And he's a rock star. As I said, he was a, a headmaster of the uh, Central Clinic of Minister of Internal Affairs in Poland. Uh, he was, uh, and he is the director of uh, Bureau of Digital Health Devices in European Union, wow. European Commission. Uh, so uh, yeah, he's a, he's a great doctor, and I want him to create kind of the learning uh, path for our employees to have this very basic medical knowledge uh, about human body. I see, I see. Um, and we always want to be helpful. Uh, we always want to be helpful to, to folks in, uh, in our community, and especially on the show. So while you're here, and while we've, we've got the ear of everybody in the audience and all the folks that will be listening on, on Spotify when it's posted, who can we introduce you to that would really move the needle? What's the, what's the title? What's the vertical? Uh, how can we be helpful to Untitled Kingdom? Ah, thanks for thanks for asking. So, uh, we are looking for uh, uh, connections to people in uh, big uh, medtech corporations, like the innovations officers, uh, people who run R and D centers, uh, people who want to create new products, verify technologies, uh, make feasibility studies, or uh, uh, major startups that uh, want to create next generation products or another product with new technologies. So we help not only with products uh, and software development, but uh, we talk a lot with uh, patients. Um, we help with clinical trials, documentation, FDA certification. And uh, yeah, so we're looking for uh, innovation officers, uh, people who run R&D centers and decision makers. Okay, perfect. There, there you have it. So if anybody has any contacts in that space, please reach out to Peter on LinkedIn. Um, and in the last couple minutes that we have here, we're going to we're gonna have uh, Eric share a, a little bit about how he's innovating the CRM space. Uh, and we've got, we've got Connor, uh, we've got Sean, we've got Jay, uh, all these three fellows are investors, Matt Johnson included. So, um, so Eric, uh, you've got the floor. Thanks so much, Nick. I really uh, appreciated this conversation. I built and launched one of my first CRMs in the HR space. We used to talk a lot about employment branding and employer branding and the importance of culture. So uh, I have a deep appreciation for what all of you are doing to create great workplaces. Um, so yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, Bloxy is a Web3 CRM. So in 2018, I started uh, building in the blockchain space and earlier this year um, met my co-founder who's an NFT artist and also a marketer like me and we realized there are no CRMs that are native built on blockchain that can leverage all of the amazing data that is there in a smart contract or a wallet that a marketer is using to promote uh, their NFT collection or their cryptos or their digital assets. So uh, we recruited uh, our CTO uh, Matt Kotnick, who I worked with on a couple of different projects, and we started building, uh, and our MVP will be launching this week. And the problem is that uh, without a native Web3 CRM, marketers are having to spend 
hours doing manual ether scan lookups and they're having to you know put that data into spreadsheets uh, it's very difficult to try to make hubspot and traditional crms work uh, for building um, nft and crypto communities um, and so so what we do with Bloxy is uh, the marketer uh, just has to put in their smart contract address and then uh, we do you know, a lookup on the ethereum blockchain and it automatically populates their funnels for their conversion funnel uh, is all the folks who've interacted and uh, purchased their NFTs or digital assets. It creates a consideration funnel for the folks who may have bid but didn't buy. And then you can refine that funnel down uh, to whitelists and alpha chats. <clears throat> you can build user profiles against a wallet address. And uh, then to complete the flywheel, there's a token gated chat where now that you've built your NFT community and you've built that list, uh, you can invite users from your existing Discord and Telegram groups into the Bloxy chat. And what most of the marketers we're working with uh, tell us, and just from my own experiences on Discord, is that uh, there are so many spammers and so much uh, scammers and security issues and hacks that take place in Discord, uh, and there's no dashboard or way to really get metrics from it, uh, that they're very excited to invite their communities into the Bloxy chat uh, where they'll have... Um, you know, all their KPIs, sales data, marketing analytics, and a dashboard, just like they're used to having in Web2. Uh, but now they won't have to do all that manual work. And um, so our, our go-to-market strategy is basically B2B2C. Uh, we're working, we have five uh, beta testers signed up and uh, excited to start using Bloxy uh, this week and next week. Uh, it includes some NFT marketing agencies, NFT creative agencies, uh, that have over a million uh, users in their combined communities. Um, and the long-term vision for Boxy for me is if we can really uh, get to scale with the chat platform and if the, the C side of it uh, takes off, I would love uh, to bring into Boxy an AI uh, from a, a company where I'm an advisor called Pangea Social. It's a new kind of AI, uh, completely different type of algorithm that my friend Lawrence has been working on for over 20 years uh, that would incentivize more open-mindedness, uh, uh, helpfulness in the conversation. It basically gives you a writing editor uh, to kind of remove toxicity from your posts. And, uh, it, it, and we've just started user testing on that. Uh, but, um, but that would ideally create a, a much safer and better social media experience, not just in crypto, Communities and digital asset communities, but it could be revolutionary for uh, social media overall. So that's Bloxy in a nutshell and some of our, our vision for it. Yeah, Jay, you had a question. Go ahead. Jay, can you can you hear us okay? Okay, it looks like we might be having some some uh, technical difficulties there. But Eric, so uh, th that was that was a lot to digest. So if you had to explain Bloxy to to my grandmother, how, how would you do that? Yeah, good question. So um, so yeah, it's 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 going to be a little bit difficult unless she understands crypto or blockchain. But basically, I would say this is a platform that helps marketers who are selling digital assets um, reach their community members in a way that's brand new. In crypto, we have something called a wallet, 
which is where digital assets are stored. And it's used to verify membership into many NFT and crypto communities. And so this is uh, one of the only platforms, we think maybe the first platform in the world that helps marketers manage those communities in a way that's unique to this new Web3 world where things are done on blockchains and with wallets. I got you. So you're, you're kind of hacking. Larson, can you, can you hear me okay? I'm yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, all good. Go ahead, Jay. Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, Eric, I, uh, great, great overview. I am aware of who Bloxy is and I'm a fan. My, my question for you, and this is something that's always kind of lingering with me, is do you feel that um, the adoption and true understanding into just kind of all things Web3 and crypto hasn't really reached like even early adoption yet. Yeah. If so how do you think the whole industry as a whole, like strategically, what are the, like the top three or five things that need to happen to really kind of cross that chasm into adoption and understanding? That's a great question. Um, I was just over at TechCrunch today and was um, sitting in a roundtable around NFTs for the real world. And there was a lot of talk around uh, the need for simplicity, not just for the for our grandmothers, but for our friends who aren't really into crypto and digital assets to be able to use fiat currency and just click, you know, apl you know, apply or download and have things work without having to, you know, download wallets and, and, and learn all kinds of jargon. Um, so, you know, that that's really, you know, the top three to five right there is just, um, yes, we're, 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 we're barely in the beginning uh, of, of this because there are so few tools like Blotsy that are no-code solutions that just have an easy interface for someone who's a marketer who's maybe new to Web3 to be able to have tools that are familiar and look like what they're used to in Web2. So, yeah, it is a real problem. There, there, isn't, uh, there aren't enough technologies, there aren't enough simple solutions, and almost everything seems to be built for developers. Yeah, I agree with that. Thanks for the explanation. And, yeah. and, and Eric, how much are you raising and at what valuation? Yeah, thanks for asking. So um, we're raising a million dollars on a safe note at a $12 million valuation. And where can uh, where can interested parties find you, Eric? Uh, you can find me at eric at bloxy.co um, or you can find me on Twitter or on Telegram or uh, through my LinkedIn profile, you can message me. Beautiful, beautiful. Great. Well, it, it's been such a such a treat to have Peter here today. So, so thank you so much, Peter. And and um, make sure to tune in next week when we've got David Mendel, who's uh, an emerging super angel. So he's he's done over five hundred investments. Um, and as we close things out, I want to also give a, a shout out to Nicodex. Um, that's n e c o g e x dot com. If you're looking to build uh, a product. Uh, like a, a website or a mobile application, that's your team. They've done some wonderful work. They start at $25 an hour and they're, they're in the same time zone. So big shout out to Nakodex.com. Thank you, Anna. And big shout out to Peter for being a wonderful guy. Thank you very much for having me here. Awesome. And then uh, make sure to, uh, to tune in next week, uh, Tuesday at 5. And until then, take care of yourselves and take care of each other.
without you.